So the reading is John 13, beginning at the first verse. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, You do not now realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Shall we pray? Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for Jesus, for his example to us, for all that he taught us. We give you thanks for these words of scripture, and I pray now you would speak to us by your spirit, through them and through my words, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, joining Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, hours before Jesus was arrested. It was the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. His uh, last meal with his closest friends and the end of his three-year-long discipleship program. This was the moment for his disciples to demonstrate how much they'd learned. Um, Just a few days earlier, we read in Mark 10, Jesus had taught them this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't know how you picture the Last Supper. I don't know if you picture stuff like that. I don't know. It's a sort of sad thing. 
all in a row along one table with Jesus in the middle doing this. Is that it's sort of the Da Vinci sort of style? One of the things it's quite hard to imagine is the smell. You see, the roads and the paths in first century Jerusalem were extremely dusty, and they were covered in animal droppings and worse. Unfortunately for them, no one had invented Wellington boots yet, so they went around in sandals, so their feet would get extremely dirty, not just with dust, but with other stuff too. So hosts would provide a slave to take off the sandals of guests as they arrived and then to wash their feet to get rid of the excrement. This was particularly important when you were having a meal together. Now, some of you might have smelly feet. I don't really want to know. But if you're sitting at a table, your feet are quite a long way away from everyone else's nose, aren't they? Because they're sort of hidden under the table. If they're really bad, perhaps you can still smell them. But in Jesus' day, that's not how they ate. They reclined. So they reclined in a circle around a central area and leant on their elbow, which meant that someone's feet were quite close to their head. So it was very important that your feet were washed. For this meal, no slave was provided, which means all the disciples had filed into that room one by one and taken their places to eat Ignoring the foot washing because that was for slaves. Before a word had even been spoken, the whole room was reeking of proud hearts and dirty feet. Thank goodness we don't need our feet washing when we come, well, most of us anyway, when we come to church on a Sunday morning. We don't need our feet washing when we gather together on a Sunday, but the pride in our hearts is the same. The veneer of hymns and songs and of the, how are you, I'm fine, thanks, all of that, it hides what's really going on in our hearts. The pride, the tension, the conflicts, the mistakes, the misunderstandings, all those things that litter our lives. Now, in one sense, it's important that we have a sort of veneer, otherwise we wouldn't be able to gather together to worship. We'd be having pitched battles and all-out rows every week, but... Church does also need to be real. The community of uh, of God's people needs to be real. Our relationships need to be more than polite smiles and small talk. They're complicated. God knows that. But we need to learn how to be honest, how to grow relationships that are real. A wife called to her family, Dinner's ready. As they emerged from their different rooms, the daughter heard her father grumbling to himself again about his wife's boring food. They all sat down in the kitchen, and uh, as usual, the father closed his eyes, beatific smile on his face, and said, Grace, thank you, Lord, for this delicious meal prepared by my lovely wife. Amen. His daughter looked at him thoughtfully. During the meal, she asked him, Daddy... Does God hear us when we pray? With his most pious face on, the father replied, Yes, darling, he hears us every time we pray. A little while later, she says, Daddy, does God only hear us when we pray? Swelling with pride that his prayerfulness had inspired such pious thoughts in his daughter, he replied, Actually, darling, God hears us all the time. Then which does he believe? She said, Which does he believe? 
Healthy churches need healthy relationships, which means being honest with each other. And by that, I don't mean being honest about how annoying you find this or that person. I mean being honest about yourself. Being honest about the things that we find difficult, that we struggle with. Instead of always sharing other people's problems when we, when we pray together. Oh yeah, we need to pray for my friend. That's great, but you need prayer as well. We need to find places where we can be honest about the pain that we feel, the struggles we have. We need to share how a Bible verse challenges me and not just using the Bible to challenge others. And that means we also need to listen, to listen graciously and openly whilst other people share and give of themselves. We need to help each other discern where God is working in our lives and what he might be wanting to do. So these true relationships mean both being honest and being gracious when others are being honest about themselves. Now, the New Testament has a number of verses to help with that, often called the one another verses. Here's a few of them. And they're called that because they all have the phrase one another or each other in them. And it's things that the the New Testament tells us that we should do in community. I didn't read out the one another verses during my sermon today, so I'm going to read them out now, especially for the podcast. Romans 12 verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Hebrews 10 24, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Ephesians 4 32, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Galatians 5.13, serve one another humbly in love. Hebrews 13.3, encourage one another daily. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. And Romans 15, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we learned to live alongside one another by these verses as they describe? The sort of love, the sort of relationship they teach is, is is a covenant sort of love rather than a covered love. It's relying on commitment to one another that goes beyond um, how we feel about people, to our shared identity in Jesus. And above all, they teach us to follow Jesus' example as he washed his disciples' feet. He took the lowest possible position. And he served his friends, washing the poo off their feet. It wasn't very pleasant, but he put their needs before his own. And the best way to learn to live like that together in a church is in in little churches, is in smaller groups. There we can learn to be honest and open with one another, to build those relationships that go beyond that sort of surface. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. If you're in a small group, you might like to look at some of these together this week. Now, I'm under no illusions about how difficult this is. It's... 14 years this week since I was first ordained. 
It might not sound very long to you, but it's quite a long time to me. <laughs> I'm under no illusions about how hard it is to live like this as a church. It means taking risks with ourselves, risks that we might get hurt by people that we are honest and open with, and then maybe they hurt us back. Because the people that we open up to are themselves every bit as broken and bruised and sinful as we are. As Jesus showed us, to love is to be vulnerable. Now, this morning's sermon was supposed to be about looking through these verses in groups to help us learn what it looks like to create a healthy church community uh, or fellowship. I prefer the word fellowship to community. Anyway, uh, it's important that we do that along the lines of these and the other one another verses. Today's title is called Creating Community, and it's supposed to be focusing on creating church community. But actually, most of us spend most of our time not at church or in church groups. Most of us spend much more time with non-Christians than we do with our Christian sisters and brothers. What about those communities? Are these values only for use in church, or do they have wider use? I think they do. I think they are relevant to all the different groups that we are part of. These are kingdom values. These are not just God telling us random stuff to do that he thought of one day. These reflect God's character. And every human being is made in God's image, which means to be truly human, we need to be like this whether we're inside the church or outside the church. So wouldn't it be amazing if as we grow in these values as a church family, they started to spill over into all the different communities that you're part of when you're not gathered with your sisters and brothers in Christ? I think so. Now yesterday, a few of us heard a chap called Chris Wright speak up at uh, St. Stephen's. He was speaking on the Old Testament. He's a, he's a great speaker, a very gifted interpreter of the Bible and teacher. And he reminded us that when God gave his people the law, his motivation was mission. Deuteronomy 4 verse 6 says this, Observe these laws and decrees carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. It was part of Jesus' teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Peter put it like this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. People see our actions long before they hear our words. Chris was talking a bit about that last week when he was talking about evangelism, the gospel that we write with our lives. The mission of God's people, therefore, begins with how we behave. So when we speak of Jesus, and speak of him we must, otherwise no one will hear about him, when we speak of Jesus, people might actually listen. Now, when I left university, I worked for a finance director. Very exciting. 
helping him to rewrite all of the company's account spreadsheets. It was glorious. It was actually quite an exciting year because we standardized the entire company's reporting system for the accounts, which had never been done before. So for the first time, they had a real-time view of the, church, of the church accounts, of the business accounts. And actually, this is the first church that I've been in where I haven't needed to use the skills I learned on that job 20 years ago. It wasn't my first job, but it was the first time I worked in a proper office with sort of desks all over the place. And it took a week before one of them noticed and asked why I didn't swear. They found out I was a Christian, and uh, for a while it was, took me back to my school days where I was bullied for being a Christian. But as we got to know one another better, we did actually have some reasonable conversations, particularly about gossiping. I don't know if you've ever worked in an, in an office. I reckon possibly 30 to 40% work <laughs> and the rest gossip was what happened in, in that room. I was trying to be salt and light. I didn't want to sort of be like all sort of super religious and pious or anything. But neither did I want to just give in and, and be exactly like them. I didn't want to hide the lamp of my faith under a bowl. So we, had a, we eventually had a conversation about what you say about other people. And uh, I remembered a sermon I'd heard when I was growing up when you need to, to help you decide whether to say something or not. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? And if it's not, it's probably gossiping. That was what the, the point of that particular sermon. So we talked a bit about that. It has to be all three of those or you don't say it. Now, I was only there a few months. I have no idea what happened to those six other people but I hope that I had a positive impact on that little community in that office. Being different is not easy, which is why we so often hide the lamp of our faith. And I've done that too. I've just given you, a, well, it wasn't that a great example, but an example from my life of where I didn't hide my faith. In another of my IT jobs, I don't think any of them knew I was a Christian. And actually that job, I went from there to Wycliffe Hall to train to be a vicar. In another job they did know, but I was so argumentative and grumpy, I'm not sure it did the kingdom any good. <laughs> it's not easy, but that's not an excuse not to try. That's not an excuse not to be light in the world. And that's why we need our big church and our little church fellowships to, to be like those one another verses, so that we can help and support each other to encourage and challenge each other, to, to be each other's cheerleaders as we try and live this out in our daily lives, out in the world, creating and shaping community wherever we are. So I'd like to pick on this two sort of common themes in those verses that I think can make a big difference in today's world. The first is kindness. There is a growing polarization in the world at the moment, fueled by uh, politics, by social media, by all sorts of things, where everything is either this or this. It's not healthy and it's not good. And simple kindness is hard to find, whether it's Brexit or Twitter. Everything is adversarial. Everything is a battle. And it spills over into the way we interact with one another in our daily lives. People go from fine to furious 
in the flick of a finger. I think this is because of the the sort of individualism and self-centeredness that's kind of at the heart of our society today, which stops us seeing things from someone else's point of view, which is a really hard thing to do. But we end up simply shouting our opinions at one another in louder and louder voices. Now, I refuse to believe that people want the world to be like that, to be full of people shouting and screaming and anger But somehow we're trapped in a sort of spiral of rage. Kindness can break that cycle. Simple kindness can make such a difference. So I wonder, in the groups that you are part of that are nothing... Well, they are something to do with the church, but they aren't sponsored by the PCC, as to put it in the sort of posh way. The groups that you're in that aren't part of this church or another church, how can you be kind when you disagree with someone? Can you encourage other people to listen? Can you help others to see things from someone else's point of view? Can you learn to see the good in people, even those that you don't like or disagree with yourself? Can you put aside your assumptions and try to understand why others do things that seem so strange or frustrating or wrong to you. Ephesians 4.32 is this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, Paul's actually, there's a bit of a pun going on here, which you don't get in English, because the word kind in Greek is krestos. And Christ is Christos. And in the very next sentence, Paul uses the word Christos. To be kind is to be like Jesus. To live a life of love, he says, Two verses later, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And that suggests the second value that I'd like us to think about today, which is generosity. Now, I don't simply mean being generous with our money. Many of you are very generous, thank you. But I'm talking about being big-hearted and being open-hearted. Giving ourselves to serve and support others not outsourcing it to someone else. And this, I think, is particularly important right now, given the the current variants. Who knows what's coming? But we sort of feel like we're emerging from the pandemic, I hope and pray. I feel like we've probably emerged from lockdowns, at least. But those lockdowns, they isolated us from one another. Deliberately, that was the whole point, wasn't it? It was to stop us seeing other people to slow down the spread of the virus so that we didn't all end up in hospital. But now it's hard for us, exhausting even, to break out of that pattern of being closed to other people. To the point where I still find it odd to shake someone's hand. Isn't that really sad? Just that simple act of shared humanity is hard now. Add to that the weariness, the loss of of not being able to see friends and family. Maybe people in your life actually died during lockdowns and you weren't able to see them. The grief of all that we've lost in those two and a half years. Sometimes it it feels like all we can do is simply keep going and maybe not even that. Let alone think about serving others and being generous with ourselves. 
I wonder how Jesus managed to wash the mud and excrement off his disciples' feet that night. If it were me, I'd have been, uh, I'd have been exhausted. Jesus knew what was coming, so I would have been terrified. I'd have been really frustrated and cross that they hadn't learned this lesson. Three years he'd been teaching those 12 men, and they still didn't get it. And even after he started, they all stayed lying down. Not one of them got up to help. Thankfully, I'm not Jesus. And we do know, thankfully, how Jesus managed it. In verse 3, John writes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. Jesus knew who he was. He was confident in his identity in God. He didn't feel the need to prove himself. He simply was himself. The one who did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus was able to do what he did because he knew who he was. Jesus was able to do what he did because he knew who he was. If you feel weary and worn out, spent, shattered, perhaps these words from Jeremiah might encourage you. So Jeremiah 17. I love Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That life and refreshment that we long for is there. Like the tree beside the river, we need to send out our roots to bring up that water, that living water that is found only in Jesus. In him alone is life that will never run out. In him alone, we do not need to be afraid anymore. In him alone, we can have confidence in who we are in God as his children. That was Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, by the way, if you want to look it up later. I long for us to grow as a fellowship of believers, as God's family, children of our Heavenly Father, sisters and brothers of Christ. I long for us to support one another in big church and in little church so that we can go into the world to create and shape communities by those kingdom values. To create and shape communities by the character of God. We need help to do that, uh, which is why I've been encouraging people to pray these words. Come Holy Spirit, be poured out on us, fill us, and make us new. Come Holy Spirit, be poured out on me, fill me, and make me new. I want us to be changed. I want us to be more like Jesus. I want us to grow closer together. I want us to grow in those one another's that are on that piece of paper. Not just so we can have a wonderful inward-looking church life, but so we can take that life into the world. So we can share that life with those who truly need it. 
just as much as we do. It's not that we're better, it's just that we need to share Jesus. God calls his people to be different so the world might see and know. Not so we can be a wonderful insular thing, but so the world can know. So let's be his light in all the dark places of the world. Let's create and shape communities with kindness and generosity. Not coming from within ourselves, but coming from that stream of living water from God. And let's be ready to talk about Jesus and the way that leads to life. Wherever we are, let us create community. Amen.